are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Good morning. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's a, a classic church plant light Sunday, so welcome. Uh, all of you that have been, been riding on the church plant train for a minute, you know what it is. Uh, yeah, that's right. You stay faithful. Uh, hey, um, for y'all, well, I think everybody knows me, but if you don't, my name is Josh. I serve as lead pastor at Refuge. And then obviously, like, there's you online uh, that are skipping on Sunday. Yeah, you know me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Um, but hey, today uh, we're going to continue. Give me one second, actually. I got I to gotta lift this up a little bit. Uh, today we're going to continue our time in worship uh, as you all know, by opening up the, the scriptures, we're going to read out of the Bible. We're going to explore the Bible together, engaging God's word. And we're going to invite him, uh, you hear me say this every week, to transform our hearts as we connect with him together through his word. To transform specifically, I want to give a, a little bit more here today, to transform specifically the way we live, transform the way we feel, to transform the way we see the world, to transform the way we see God, to transform the way we see ourselves and our lives and our commitment to following Jesus. That's what we're doing here today. As we connect with God, we're inviting him to meet us here, regardless of the context, whether it's school, auditorium, uh, whether it's 10, whether it's 10,000, whether it, no matter the context, right, we're meeting him here and saying, God, we're going to open these words and we're going to invite you to connect with us uh, as we draw near to you to transform uh, us in the way that you feel and see fit. And so that's the goal today as we move forward. And today we're going to do that specifically uh, by starting up a new sermon series. Last week we finished up our sermon series uh, called I Am, where we explored uh, John's I Am statements. The, the, actually, they're not John's I Am statements. They're Jesus' I Am statements in the book of John. I hope that was a blessing to you as we really examined what Jesus says about himself, uh, understanding that he makes the claim that he's God, and therefore the statements that he says about himself unveil uh, and begin to, to reveal to us who God is and what God does and what he longs for in our lives. Um, and, and we talked about how that sermon series was really related to uh, helping us live out uh, one specifically of the three rhythms that we have here as a church, right? Uh, as a church, we have three rhythms. They are to connect with God, grow with family, and serve the city. And I got to be honest with y'all, I was going to be like, they are, but I, I, I'm confident in y'all today, all right? But, but y'all prove me wrong later, because I'm going to give you one more chance, but I'm not going to tell you when it is. But I'm going to be like, they are, and then you're going to get it. You're going to get it at that time. But I gave you some warning, so if you don't get it, I'm going to be like, oh, come on, guys. But anyway, point being, uh, if we want to connect with God, that's what we say we're, we're here to do. We exist as a church, uh, at least in part, to connect with God. We want to know who we're connecting with. And as a result, we want to value the words Jesus says about himself when he's saying, I am. Uh, but uh, as I pray that series was encouraging for you, as we continue uh, having established those ideas and, and really moving forward saying, God, I want to connect with you as the resurrection, right? As, as the one who is going to intervene in the day to rescue and restore and redeem. I want to connect with you as uh, the gate, the one through whom I am reconciled to God. I want to connect with you as the bread of life, the one that sustains and gives life, even when everything else seems to fail. As we connect with God in that way, we aren't invited to merely know him. Right? We're also invited to follow him. And I, and I think that's important. Like Jesus calls his disciples to in the Gospels, we are invited not just to know him, uh, but to follow him. 
to drop everything we have and everything we're familiar with and say, God, I'm going to follow you and give my life and my mind and my heart uh, to following you. And for many of us, that sounds good. That sounds fine, right? We're like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I'll start reading my Bible. I'll start praying. I'll start going to church. I'll, I'll start going to a small group. I'll start doing X, Y, and Z. In other words, we hear follow. Uh, we hear the follow part of that invitation, and we assume that that invitation is for us to start changing ourselves. Right, we assume when we hear that IV, that that invitation to follow me, that it's an invitation for us to get to work on ourselves. That we're now invited to live differently and to find a new way to live through following the teachings of Jesus. Yet the invitation we receive from God uh, to follow Him uh, is honestly the exact opposite of that in a lot of ways, and I think that's important for us to note today. Right, the act of following isn't an independent and self-reliant action. In fact, it's the opposite. The act of following is a wholly dependent action. It requires not that we learn how to do something on our own, but that we learn to follow the one who is leading and living the way we aspire to live. Right? Our responsibility is not to form the new way alongside of the leader, but to, to learn the new way by allowing the leader to lead us, uh, to shape us, to teach us, to correct us, to encourage us, to guide us. And in that act of following, in that humble way, we experience the transformation that the one who bids follow me intends and, and desires for our lives. This week, uh, we're starting a new sermon series entitled The Good Shepherd, where we're going to go through uh, Psalm 23, what we read on the screen today. Uh, and through our time, uh, what we're, we're going to do is to, we're going to look at what it means to follow God, right? When we hear the words of Jesus when he's like, follow me. What does that actually mean for us? And we're going to take it what it looks like for God to actually be our shepherd, my shepherd, your shepherd. And we'll be spending six weeks in this book. It's actually a week for each verse in the book. And so we're going to take our time. It's going to be a while. We're going to pace ourselves. And so if you get tired of Psalm 23, because each week we're going to read that bad boy through the whole time, just like we did today, because it had been a little weird if Eileen got up there and was like, one verse, let's pray. So we will read that whole thing. And then we're going to dive in and take it slow, each verse trying to, to really decipher like, hey, what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to accept that invitation to follow him as we accept the invitation to follow Jesus. And I'm hopeful that if we give ourselves to the truth that we'll find in these verses, in these words, not only will it transform how we see our relationship with God, but as a result, it will transform our lives, our hearts, and really the way we see our interactions with God. Okay, that, that's my hope as we understand what it means to follow the good shepherd and for the Lord to be our shepherd. And so today we're just going to start with verse one. That's it. No, nothing else besides verse one. And here's the thing, if I just want you to have one idea that you take home with you today, right? It's like, yo, you get out the door and you're like, here's the one thing I learned. I want it to be this. The invitation to follow Jesus is the difficult and scary invitation to know God's provision through knowing our deepest needs. The invitation to follow Jesus is the difficult and scary invitation to know God's provision through knowing our deepest needs. We're going to take a look at two ideas from this one verse today. The first uh, is embracing our needs embracing our needs. What does it like to embrace our needs? And second uh, is the idea of being honest about our needs, being honest about our needs. You may be like, what's the difference between those? We'll get to it in a little bit. Uh, to jump in, let's go ahead and read the first verse uh, again, just to kind of set context, and then we'll, we'll jump in. The 21, uh, sorry, sorry, Psalm 23, verse 1. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Okay. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Now, uh, as we dive in, obviously, I want to give you a little bit of context here so that we can move forward in the right direction. Psalm 23 was written by who? All right, all right. The biblical scholars in the building know what it is, all right? Uh, it was written by David. And here's the thing. We're not sure, 100% sure when it was written or the, the exact context that it was written, the exact circumstances that it was written in. Uh, but what we do know is that he used his experience as a shepherd throughout his life to build this picture of how we relate to God. And he uses this idea of how a sheep interacts with its shepherd, what a sheep sees when it sees its shepherd, to begin to build this parallel of how we should then see our God. And so it's not that every single thing a shepherd does is exactly what God does, right? Like shepherds have to do a lot of wild things, many of which uh, involve feces, but we're not saying that God is that, right? We're saying that there's this parallel of dependency, there's this parallel of humility, there's this parallel uh, of affection that he's looking at and going, this is what it should look like between you and your God. And so as we jump in here, it's important to start with something obvious that I just mentioned, and that is important to note, and it starts the entire chapter. Uh, it's that Psalm 23, uh, actually, I'm sorry, for context, it's that Psalm 23 is a song. Every psalm you read is a song. Uh, it's a song from the people of Israel. It's a song that they sang corporately that was written by uh, one of several different human beings uh, in order to, to really capture not just the intellect, but to capture the heart. And I think that's extraordinarily important because when we read the psalms today, oftentimes we read them like we're reading a narrative in the gospel, right? But, but we should read them more as like this creative literature that's meant to inform our hearts, yes, but, but is also meant to, to, to inform our minds, yes, but also meant to touch our hearts in a special way, right? Like I said, David here isn't being like God is a literal shepherd, but rather that the, the function of God is similar to a shepherd. It should evoke some type of, of feeling. And this song specifically confronts us with a very specific and challenging reality, uh, that there is a difference between knowing something and believing something. This song confronts us with a, with a very special and, and, and sometimes hard reality. There's a difference between knowing something and believing something. Uh, the first verse of this song starts to tell us that, that God is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, I lack or I want nothing. I have everything I need. And it says that, again, not to... Not to just inform us of it, but it invites us to believe that, to believe that God is caring for me and provides everything that I need. And if you're like me, just from the jump, you look at those words, you look at that idea, and it starts to sit in your craw a little bit funny. Because if I'm being honest, there's still times where the words I say and know, even to you guys when I'm preaching up here, are not words and, and things that I would say I personally always believe. They're words that I know are true. They're words from this book that I'd be like, yeah, those are 100% true. But then when you catch me in the function of my life on an everyday basis, those same words that I stand up here and tell you are the same words that when I look at them and I'm like confronted with the realities of my life, I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I know that's true, but I'm not sure if I believe that. I'm not sure if it's anchored into my heart in a way where I look at the, the, the realities of my life and I have overwhelming peace because I'm sure that God is my shepherd. Right? That, that, that's some of the, the realities we're confronted with as we read these first words. 
But I don't want to discourage us. I think that the, the, the beautiful thing is that when we adventure deeper into a text like Psalm 23, we begin to be met with some truth and some realities about God that, that can tend to, to give, be like a sap to the soul in this way. The first thing to consider here uh, is that God is called shepherd in this text. That's important. Uh, because unlike dogs or some other types of domesticated animals, I want you to hear me here. Sheep don't have trainers. Maybe they have trainers in some way. I don't, I'm not an expert in, uh, in sheep matters, but, but I know that a shepherd is not a trainer. They're not meant, a shepherd is not meant to, to teach something to a sheep, uh, to make sure they have the repetitive act of obeying that thing down and then walk away and go, okay, you're good now. You continue on. You've learned what you need to learn. Call me if you need something else. A shepherd isn't that. Shepherds aren't trainers. Shepherds are meant to have a permanent presence in the life of a sheep. They're meant to consistently and persistently stay there to care for the sheep, to provide for the sheep, to care and guide the sheep uh, for the entirety of their lives. And I want to make a quick side note here because some of us really need to think about this and we need to believe it. Uh, Some of us think that God wants to teach us something and then be hands off in our life. That God wants to teach us something and then be hands-off in our life. Like the karate kid, he wants to wax on and wax off us, and then all of a sudden, he wants to go ahead and see us do the repetitive motion, learn to fight, and then be like, good, now go ahead and go out there and win a tournament on your own. And the invitation to follow God is the exact opposite, because his desire for how he he wants to interact with us in our lives is the exact opposite. I want to make something very clear to you today, uh, that God's priority for your life is not to teach you something so you can exist apart from him. That's not God's desire for your life. His goal is not to teach you how to live so that you can then live on your own apart from him. God's priority is to be the ever-present, caring, loving, providing shepherd that steps with you every step of the way through the dark sides, through the light sides, through the mountaintops, through the valleys, and is ever-present, never departing, never leaving, but always there, right? This is God's desire for your life, and that's what a beauty uh, a, a text beautiful like this begins to show us, right? It's why when, when David is looking at his life as a shepherd, he's looking at it and going, this is what God is like. I, w- I would never leave these sheep. I would always be there for these sheep. I, I don't want to go take a nap and, and then depart and get them to where they need to go and then move on with my life. These are, these are my sheep. And he's saying that's what God is like. But hear me, I want to ask you a question. Having considered that, having considered the the role of a shepherd in the life of a sheep, how do we perceive sheep? It's not a rhetorical question. I want some legit feedback. How do we perceive sheep? They're dumb. They're stupid. First word that comes out of everybody's mouth, right? Wasn't nobody like, well, they provide us with wool, you know, like that. Nobody said that because nobody thinks of that first. Because generally the perception of sheep is that they're dumb. The perception of sheep is that they're vulnerable because they're, they're kind of stupid, right? And, and so they need a shepherd in order to protect them. And that, that's what we hear in, in our day-to-day lives, and, and especially, honestly, in, in church that sheep are dumb, they're needy, uh, and that's why they need an ever-present help like a shepherd. And so we often label sheep as dumb. We often label sheep in these negative ways, and undoubtedly you've heard this before because you literally just gave me the feedback for it right now. Um, 
Sheep get themselves into trouble. Sheep uh, can never get out of trouble. They're vulnerable. They're always weak. They're always stupid. And so now they need the shepherd. And so some of us, because we believe that, we view God's role as the shepherd in our lives. Yes, he's ever-present, but rather he's the one that just wants to keep us from messing our lives up. He's the one that just wants to keep us from screwing everything up because we look at ourselves as dumb sheep. And all of a sudden, we're now needy because we're stupid. And if it wasn't for God, we would mess everything up because we're absent-minded and we don't know what we're doing and we make bad decisions. So God's presence is not one that desires to care. God's presence is one that desires to protect by just keeping us from doing the dumb stuff. Again, I would look at a text like this and be like, I'm not, I'm not sure that's what God is saying here either. Actually, here's the thing. Sheep aren't dumb. Uh, the beautiful part to a text like this, and some of y'all have heard me say this, specifically those of you in my small group, sheep are actually mad smart. And that may be like amazing news to you, but they are. They're actually wildly smart. One research study found that they were fast learners. Right, this research study specifically claimed that sheep can regularly learn new commands in as little as six tries. That's better than some humans, right? So, Right, like, so sheep are mad smart. They can learn super quick. They self-medicate. This one was super interesting in that study. When they don't feel good, right, rather than just waiting around and dying, sheep actually will go and find the things that their community has historically uh, ascribed as valuable to treating the illness that they feel. And they'll, instead of just eating whatever's in front of them, when they don't feel good, they'll actually go out and find the weeds, the herbs that will make them better on their own without the help of anyone else. So they self-medicate. And here's the one I really want you to remember. It was found out in a research study by Dr. Keith Kendrick at Cambridge University. So this ain't, this ain't no, no poppycock stuff. This is Cambridge, all right? We're talking authority, all right? So, uh, and he found that in observing sheep from around the world, he found that sheep have a complex and meaningful set of social structures. They actually uniquely remember specific faces and specific voices. And while they're dependent, yes, they're dependent precisely because they're so socially intelligent. Right? They feel stressed when they're not around those that they care about. They become anxious when those they love are far from them. In fact, sheep are known to mourn and become distressed when another sheep they love actually dies. And they spend a period of time mourning the absence of that sheep from the flock. They're smart. They're really smart. But hear me, they're also dependent. We've just for so long associated the, the ability to be independent and self-reliant with the idea of intelligence that we've mistaken a sheep's dependence for stupidity. But sheep are smart and dependent. In fact, they might be, de they might be dependent precisely because they're smart. And the struggle we have with a text like this and the reality that exists in the scriptures at large when we're described as the sheep and God is our shepherd uh, is that we're the sheep, that we are the dependent party. And the sheep aren't as independent as we desire for them to be. They lack the independence that says, I can get through this. I'm smart. I'm strong. I'm sharp. I'm capable. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a strong leader. I, I'm pretty resilient. I can get through. I have a lot of endurance. Uh, I'm wise. 
And here's the thing. This type of independence that we generally long for, the type of independence that says I'm not a burden to anyone, I'm not needy, I, I don't need anyone else, I'm okay on my own. It's the same sense of independence that limits us uh, from feeling the need for others and, and feeling like we're a burden to some. But that same exact sense of independence is the same thing that limits our need toward God. One and the same. The moment you look at someone in your family and go, I don't want their help paying my bills this week, it's probably the same exact feeling that's going to drive you later to be like, I don't want to come to God and say that I can't do X, Y, and Z, right? That's the exact same thing. It's just that one, we think that, that God would move in, in like the heavens or some way that, that really overlooks our pride, and the other is like, well, I don't want to be a burden to another human X, Y, and Z, but really at, at the root of the heart, it's the exact same thing. It's isolating ourselves to be needy, to be, to be dependent, and saying, I don't need anyone. I don't need you. I don't need them. I don't need mom. I don't need dad. I don't need brother. I don't need sister. I don't need spouse. I don't need school. I don't need help. I don't need anything. In fact, God, I don't even really need you. Same exact thing. But Psalm 23, especially the first verse, invites us to confess and accept that we are sheep. Invites us to confess and accept I'm a sheep invites us to confess and accept, I have needs. I, I have limits. I, I'm not okay on my own. I get hurt. I get scared. I don't know what to do at times, and at other times, I make the wrong decisions. I hurt when it feels like I'm on my own because I get lonely. When I get lonely, I get angry. And when I'm angry, sometimes I'm discouraged. And when I'm discouraged, sometimes I end up being a little bit hopeless. And the end, in all of it, I need a shepherd. I need someone to care for me and to provide those needs because on my own, I'm struggling to get those needs met. I know what they are sometimes, and sometimes I don't. But at the end of the day, I'm dependent and I'm needy. Psalm 23.1 says, come and, come and concede that. Come and confess that. Be open about that. It honestly reminds me of a time in my wife and I's uh, life live, yeah, because we're one flesh and it's one life, so uh, in our life where specifically when we started the church planting journey uh, and, and it required a leap of faith. And when I say re started the church planting journey, I actually mean uh, this is before anyone in this room knew me. So I didn't know a single one of you uh, when this step was happening. I knew my dad technically because I knew him way before that too. Uh, so, but it required a leap of faith um, because it was transitioning from full-time work to raising money for a salary in order to spend all of our time focused on church planting. Uh, we had actually just bought a house, and we were expecting our first child, Leah, who's in the kids' area. And on the outside, I was generally okay, right? My dad would always be like, man, you're going to be all right. I'm worried about you. I'd be like, no, man, I'm fine. Like, God's going to provide. It's going to be okay. Like, man, he's going to open doors. On the inside, I was terrified, right? I was, I was petrified. I was scared. I grew up not coming from any kind of money. So when I looked at the people surrounding me, I thought, who am I even going to ask for money? I don't even know a single person that might have enough money to give me or to spare on a monthly basis to provide for anything. And I looked at all the other people that were raising money in this same type of context, and all of them would come from like a thousand-person church in the suburbs of some major city, and they would go back and be like, this person's giving me like $400 a month, and we have like 18 of those. And I'm like, God, praise God for you. I don't know a single person that has 400 months, 400, 400 months, 400 bucks to spare a month. So I was looking at the situation just filled with that sense of dread. Right? Those are the things that Psalm 23, 1, 
that God invites us to confess, acknowledge, and embrace. Those very things. Not the part that says, no, 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 it's going to be good. All these doubts and all these insecurities and all these fears that I have, I'm going to just speak truth over those things. And when I'm finally feeling good enough, then I'm going to run to God and be like, man, we're victorious. You came through. All the while, God is saying, no, 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 I'm victorious. I need you to come to me and let me provide and let me care and let me be the ever-present help that I want to be for you. Right? Embrace those needs. I wish in that season when my dad was like, I'm worried about you. I wish I could have said, man, I'm worried about me too. I'm scared. I'm insecure. I feel a little bit less than compared to the other people that I see doing this. But I'm trying to trust God. I'm trying to put my life in his hands. I'm trying to do what I feel he's called me to do. And to be honest, I feel like that's all I can do right now. That moment right there invites God into the picture much more than saying, God's got this, when deep down inside I'm saying, I don't know if I've got this. So embrace those needs. Embrace the fact that we have needs. But we also want to be honest about our needs. What's the difference? Well, let's say like the second invitation in this text is to be honest about our needs and our limitations with God. And so for us to truly lack nothing, right, we have to be honest about what our needs actually are. In other words, we, we have to, to know the difference between who we think we are and who we really are. In order for us to truly come to God and lack nothing, have every need met by God, we have to know who we really are versus who we think we are, right? There's who we really are, and then there's who we want to be, who we wish we were, who we pretend to be. And here's the thing. Depending on which one of those two people you ask, you'll get very different results in terms of the answers. If you ask me what the person I think I am, the person I want to be, actually needs, you'll probably get an answer like, man, I just need my kids to calm down a little bit because at home things get kind of crazy. I just need my wife to be a little more assertive, right, because I just wanted to make more decisions, take things off of my plate. I want my life to be a little less busy because right now I got a lot going on. Uh, because the person in my mind and the person I wish I was has everything under control. The person in my mind is calm. The person I wish I was is peaceful. The person, I, the person I hope to be is patient. It's just the other things outside of that person that actually cause that person issues. It's never him. But if you were to ask me, what do you really need, Josh? What, when it, what do you need? Not when it's point to your kids, point to your child, point to your schedule, point to X, Y, and Z. What do, what do you actually need? And I set aside that person, and I just looked at Josh in the mirror and said, man, what do you need, bro? I probably would respond with something like, I want the perfect family because that's what I never had. Right? I need rest from a busy day. And not to make any more decisions because, to be honest, I'm tired. And at this point in my life, I might have bit off more than I can chew. Right? I need a break out of my busy schedule because I'm not strong enough to do everything that I've actually put on my plate. Thinking that I was who I claimed to be when in reality I'm just who I am. Right? That's what, what you would probably actually hear. When I'm not trying to find a scapegoat and the reality becomes... Just be honest about what it is. All of a sudden, we start sharing things that 
can tend to be scary because they force us to deal with who we actually are, not with who we project to be. But that's the invitation. That's what you really need. That, that, that's what you really, really hope for. And whether we know it or not, the language of the shepherd invites me to know myself as much as I know him, to learn myself as much as I learn him, to understand myself as much as I understand him. And in fact, it may be that as I understand myself, I will truly start to understand him, not the other way around. Maybe the other way around too. I'm not going to, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to retract that statement. But there is a reciprocity. There is a symbiotic, right, type of nature to learning God and learning us. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of uh, Peter, Jesus' disciple, right? Uh, he's one of Jesus' closest disciples. And when you look at Peter's story, uh, there are moments where Peter has confidence. And then it'll seem like a chapter later, Peter has less confidence about things he just had mad confidence about. And so if you think about as an example, like in Matthew 8, the disciples are in the storm. And they all think they're going to die, Peter included, right? They're like, the waves are coming upon us. We're definitely dead and for Peter, this is shocking because he's actually experienced God's provision when Jesus called him and said, follow me. Right? Jesus comes to the boat that Peter and his brother in, and he's like, hey, cast your, cast your nets. Like, Man, we've been out here all night. We ain't caught anything. And all of a sudden, they, they cast it over, and there's more fish than the boat can hold. And you think about that, and you think, well, surely that would have spurred Peter's, Peter's faith. But, but then you get to this moment in the boat, and Peter's still like, man, we're going to die. And then, though, he sees Jesus outside of the boat. And in the midst of that moment of doubt, he has another moment of faith. And he's like, Jesus is over there. I'm going to get out of the boat, and I'm going to walk to him. And it's like, dude, we're in the middle of a very massive lake, and we'll call it a sea. Right? So a massive body of water here. You're never, you're going to drop straight down. But he gets out of the boat, and he starts walking over to Jesus. And everybody's like, oh, my right? And then all of a sudden, he looks left and he looks right again. He starts seeing waves and he's like, oh, wait, dude, I'm actually walking on water. And what happens? He sinks down again. And then when he sinks down, Jesus comes back. And even after all these cycles, grabs him and is like, oh, ye of little faith, man, but I got you. Don't worry. I got you. And you would think after all these experiences that Peter would, would develop this crazy sense of dependence, knowing that if he himself tried to walk on water again, he would sink straight to the bottom knowing that it was Jesus' presence in the midst of the storm, knowing that it was Jesus' presence in the midst of not having any fish to, to say I caught, to, to sell, you would think that in the midst of all this, he would look and go, yo, it's Jesus that I actually need. But when we find Peter later receiving rebuke from Jesus, who looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter gets wildly offended that Jesus would doubt him. He gets wildly offended. He gets hurt, and he just responds, Jesus, I'll never do that. I'll follow you until the ends of the earth. Hear me, friend. Peter is either confident, extraordinarily confident in his devotion and commitment to Jesus, or he's incredibly blind to his own pride and self-reliance. And the scariest part in our lives is that when we're blinded by self-reliance, the reality is probably both. We're overly confident because we're overly blind. And I love this quote that I heard in a sermon about this text. The, the quote said, Peter assumed that Jesus Christ was making, uh, sorry, Peter assumed Jesus Christ was mistaken with this prediction because doubting Jesus was easier than doubting himself. Later on, Peter would deny Jesus. 
Y'all know the story. He would deny him. He would run. He would flee. uh, He would curse him. Uh, Everything that Jesus said was going to happen, he would 100% do. It would all come to pass. And that is exactly what happened. Yet in the resurrection, Jesus again reaches out to Peter. Go tell my disciples and Peter. Right? Like, like he did in the boat those years before, like he did in the raging storm those years before, he meets Peter where he is. He meets Peter where he is, and he doesn't turn to meet, Peter, uh, meet the Peter that Peter thinks he is. But he finally gets to engage with the Peter of who Peter really is. He meets the broken, lacking confidence, lacking boldness, scared, self-reliant Peter. And that's precisely where transformation begins in Peter's life. Friend, that's where transformation takes place in our lives, right? When we experience Jesus, there's there's no way we can grow in confidence in Jesus, grow our faith in Jesus without growing in our own awareness of our own insecurities, right? Growing in awareness of our own needs, our own limitations, our own fears. And by God's grace, he doesn't just give us words and and knowledge and say, here, here's like an intellectual uh, little nugget for you to hold on to while you're struggling with all these things. Rather, he gives us experiences that spur more than knowledge, they anchor belief. Right, experiences that put us in a position where we're looking in the mirror, not at the person we hope we are, but when we're looking in the mirror, the person that we actually are the person that Jesus actually wants to meet, the person that Jesus invites, come to me, right? I don't need you to be strong. I don't need you uh, to to be courageous. I don't need you to be bold. I don't need you to be sharp. I don't need you to be wise. I don't need you to be strong. I don't need you to be uh, uh, resilient. All I need from you is to come to me when I call, follow me. That's all I need. Because the rest of what you need, I will provide. That's the invitation of the good shepherd. That's the truth that David points to when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, because he knows me in the midst of the valley when I've made a mess, he knows me when I'm confident, he knows me when I'm strong, he knows me when I'm weak, he knows me at my highs, he knows me at my lows. Because the shepherd knows me and he's cared for me and he's present, I have everything that I need. One and the same, one to one. His presence as the shepherd gives me what I need. That's it. That's the invitation that we receive by God's grace. That these, sometimes these hard experiences that we have, they're they're not there for God because he wants to humble us and just wants to be like, I'm going to take you down to size. And oftentimes, friends, it's because he wants to reveal to us who we really are. Because who we really are is the one he wants to meet. Who we really are is the one he wants to invite to know him and to be in a relationship with him. It's why Jesus comes and starts saying wild stuff like the righteous don't need a doctor, but the sick do. The son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Man, what amazing news from a good God. But so many of us are often trying to prove that we're righteous, that we forget to receive the redeeming grace of God in him saying, I've come to seek the lost and the broken. So come to me, all you right, who, who are heavy laden, who are burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Right, what good news, man. Incredible news. 
It's those moments, friend, that fill our hearts, right, with trust for God, with belief, with faith. Right? That, that make us say, man, you know me and you love me. You've seen my lack that I couldn't provide for myself and you've provided it for me. Those are the moments that make us look and say, he's my shepherd and I won't want. And we can trust him. Right? We, can, we can trust him because here's the amazing thing. Jesus has provided the safe place uh, to bring the realities of who we are, not arbitrarily, but through himself. Right? It was Jesus that though he lacked nothing, endured the shame of the cross and complete lack, being stripped naked, beaten, right, hung up for all to see so that we who are actually needy, who actually don't believe, who try to cover ourselves with projections of who we wish we were and who we think we are could come with all of the lies and projections, can bring all that and our needs to God in complete confidence that he doesn't judge us, but rather that he will meet us with grace and compassion and mercy thanks to the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Friend, I want to I say this very explicitly. You can come to God with your heart laid bare and broken because Jesus first came before God with his whole body and soul laid bare and broken on the cross just so that you could come to the feet of the Father and say, here I am in all of who I am. There's no covers. There's nothing. I'm naked before you. I'm, I'm laid bare before you. I'm broken before you. And for the Father to say, and I receive you, come here, my son, my daughter, Right, through Jesus, you are mine. What good, incredible, beautiful news that you have in the midst of your pain and suffering, hardships, struggles. What incredible, incredible news we have. And so, friend, I want to ask you a question today, having said all that. And again, the question isn't to shame you. The question isn't to try and, and tease something out of you. It's to genuinely ask you, because I believe that it is helpful for you to be asking yourself this question. What experiences in your life are inviting you to learn more about yourself and therefore inviting you to learn more about God's power and love. Right? What experiences in your life right now are inviting you to learn more about yourself and therefore inviting you to learn more about God's power and love? Don't limit this question either. Is it, is it issues in relationships, your marriage, your, your kids, your family, your friends? Is it issues in your finances? Is it issues in your job, issues in school, issues in some other area? W what is it? It doesn't have to be, as we try to categorize it, big or small, right? It, it can just be the spaces that God is inviting us. Here's how you're going to learn who you are more. And through that, to learn who I am more. Don't be scared, friends, of, of that invitation, right? It's precisely in that invitation, as, as sometimes challenging as that can be, that as we learn more of ourselves, we do truly learn the provision of God, right? We learn the provision of God through learning more about our actual deepest, realest, sometimes scariest needs. But it's precisely there that he desires to meet us. It's precisely there that he desires to introduce himself to us afresh, the good shepherd right, who, who desires to meet the needs that are present and not give us the, the surface or artificial need that we think we have, but to actually give us the longings of our soul. Let's pray. Father, um, 
Thank you for the invitation we have to see you and to come to uh, the Good Shepherd. Father, thank you um, that as we approach you and we, we humble ourselves, we lay our heart bare, you invite us to come before you uh, with the fullness of who we are, right, completely vulnerable, completely transparent, and yet when our heart in that moment seems to be full of insecurity and doubt and fear, it's precisely in that moment that we're met with grace that teaches us to renounce ungodliness, that teaches us to renounce worldly passion, as Titus 2, 11, 12 talk about, that, that, that teach us to trust you, that teach us to rely upon you, that show us the depths of your goodness and love and care. And so, Father, help us today. Help us today come before you open and honest. Help us come before you, embracing the fact that we have needs, embracing the fact that we have limitations, embracing the fact uh, that we have failures, that we have faults. And as we embrace those truths, allow us to come before you and be honest with those things. And allow us to receive grace that transforms, love that transforms, mercy that transforms us, Father, as your design and your will for us is to, to come to the Good Shepherd. Not so that he can pardon and lead, not so that he can care, teach, and, and dip out, but rather so that you can stay near, so that you could care for us and be present with us. God with us, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.